Good morning. Oh man, it is uh, so good to be with you all uh, this morning. Uh, if you're a guest with us again, a special welcome to you. So, so glad that you opted to spend some of your day here uh, with us this morning. My name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at uh, Mission Point Community Church. Uh, this morning, though, um, mine is the privilege of continuing our journey through the New Testament book of Ephesians, which we started last week. Some of you uh, might have missed it. Some of you, again, may be here for the first time. In either case, I just want to say welcome to the expedition. Uh, we are going to spend a number of weeks uh, discovering and getting to know the beautiful truths in this book called Ephesians. And um, man, honestly, more than that, our desire is that we might rediscover and get to know and see ourselves through the beautiful truths in the book of Ephesians. What is most true about you? What is most real about you? What is the truest truth? What is the realest reality about you? Because I can spend a lifetime believing things about me that are not true, believing things about me that are only partially true. And what I believe, what I believe about myself as the power to determine my disposition my decisions, my direction, and in many ways, my destination. It is no small deal. If somebody, for instance, tells me, hey, Condo, Fort Wayne is to your west, and I believe that's true, it will affect my disposition, it will affect my decision, it will affect my direction, and before you know it, I'll end up in the unwanted destination of Valparaiso. Nothing against Valparaiso. I'm sure it's a cool place, but it's no Fort Wayne. Let's be honest. And what we are going to see is the decisions, the disposition, the direction, and in many ways, the life destination you will arrive at has to do with what you believe to be true and what you believe to be true about you. This is no small Matter And so in this series, we want to spend some time getting to know ourselves, getting to know what the Bible says is true about us. Better yet, what we want to figure out is what does God say is most true about us? What does God see when he looks at us? Because that's what we want to buy into. That's what we want to believe. That's what, what we want to have affecting our disposition, our decisions, our direction. And in many ways, the destination of our lives. We want to see ourselves from God's vantage. So, uh, some quick facts uh, about the book, uh, either to refresh you or maybe you're just catching on here um, for the first time. Uh, the book of Ephesians is actually a letter that was written in about the year 62 or so AD. And it was written to a group of churches in the then Roman province of Ephesus, now what we know as Turkey. Uh, today. The author of the book is a man named Paul. Uh, Paul used to hate the church. In fact, it was Paul's life ambition to extinguish the church by any means necessary and frankly kind of unnecessary. The guy was brutal, hated the church. On one of his church hunting expeditions, Jesus Christ met him and kind of interrupted his life plans with his grace. And he not only forgave Paul of all of his sins, but he went a step further. And he called this church opposer to become a church apostle, giving him the authority and the responsibility to play a part in launching and building 
what is now the universal church. He made Paul a founding leader in his church. About seven years prior to to penning or feathering these words, whatever he used, uh, the Apostle Paul had spent some time with the leaders in Ephesus doing what he had been called to do, helping to build up, um, helping to establish the church there. But now a few years have passed. Paul is incarcerated in Rome. He's in prison. And while he's there, he's starting to hear some glorious buzz about the way the Lord Jesus is moving in his church in the province of Ephesus. And Paul is so stirred that he writes a letter to them that we now have as the 10th book of the New Testament. The book of Ephesians, which in my semi-humble opinion, I consider to be the perfect book. I mean, that's a big claim. I realized to call a book a perfect book, that's a a huge, massive claim um, to make. Now, I'm not saying it's more inspired than the other books of the Bible. Um, I'm not saying it's truer than the other books of the Bible. But I am kind of saying it is the perfect book. Here's what I mean. For centuries, experts, um, theological geniuses have wrestled over trying to figure out why the Apostle Paul wrote this letter in the first place. And they have struggled to do it. You know why? Because typically when Paul would write a letter, he would write a letter to address some drama that was going on in the church or to correct some theological error that was happening or to deal with some crisis or to kind of yell at somebody a little bit to set the church on its right course. But if you study the book of Ephesians, Paul has no rebuke. He has no reprimand. He has no drama to deal with. Do you know what that says to me? This book answers the question, hey, Paul, If you could say anything to the church, what would you say? Well, no, 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 Paul, no drama. There are no divas in the church. There's no division. Let's assume they're living in a pagan society as they are. Nothing to correct, Paul. What would you say? Come on, spout off at the heart. What do you wish the church of Jesus Christ knew more than anything? And he writes this blank slate letter that I consider to be the perfect book. And here's the gist of what the Apostle Paul wants the church in Ephesus and the church here to know in turn. Sometimes you hear preachers say this, and let me just say for the record, it is not true. If you ever hear me say it, I'm not being entirely honest. And so I try and avoid saying this, but you hear preachers often say something like this. Hey, if you miss everything else I say, hear this one thing. (laughs) It's nonsense. I didn't stand up here so you can only hear one thing. That's not true. But if anyone would have sincerely meant it, I think Paul would have meant, if you miss everything else about this book, get a hold of this. Because everything else flows out of this reality. What Paul wants to know is God has blessed the church beyond its wildest imagination. Believing that, will change how you live and it will change where you end up. God has blessed his church beyond comprehension. And so Paul starts the main portion of his letter by saying just that. If you miss everything else, don't miss this, but don't miss everything else, please. You are blessed. Heaven has supplied you with more stuff than you will ever possibly be able to spend or even comprehend. You are blessed. And then he'll spend, by the way, the next three chapters taking a blessing at a time and explaining them to us, which is what we're going 
to do as well. But his banner statement, which we want to lean into this morning, is just this. You are blessed. And here's the way Paul puts it. If you have a copy of the scriptures, um, join me in Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, we are going to have uh, the verse up here on the screen. um, That we're going to spend some time looking at this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And here's how Paul speaks about this idea of being blessed, being supplied. He says it this way, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, here's the word, blessed or supplied us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, in the person of Christ. This is, by the way, a good verse to memorize, to put on your rearview mirror. Okay, maybe under your rearview mirror so you can see or to stick up somewhere. Such a great verse to become acquainted with. God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every conceivable supply we could ever conceivably need through our connection to the person of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, We want to spend some time getting acquainted with this idea of being blessed. This idea of supply, as we are going to refer to it throughout the course of our time together. This supply that Paul claims we've been given as followers of Jesus Christ. This supply, Paul is convinced, if we believe that, it will affect everything else. It will affect our obedience, it will affect our marriages, it will affect the gospel, it will affect our unity, it will affect it all. If we understand this concept, that we have been blessed. So we want to make a few observations about this blessing, or as again we'll refer to it, this supply, to see if we can start to inch towards an appreciation of what Paul wants the church not to miss and to become convinced of. So we're going to just make a number of observations about this supply from this verse we just looked at. Here's the first one. We're going to have these up on the screen so you can take notes. This supply, this blessing Paul wants us to become convinced of is surpassing. It's surpassing. Um, I'm going to ask for a little bit of your cooperation um, uh, throughout this morning. So thanks in advance for uh, playing along. But look again at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with, what's the next word? Cooperation. I mean, like. A little more cooperation. Okay. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Okay, hang on a second. I'm a little bit of a cynic, I'll admit. Because I read this and I want to know, okay, Paul, you say every spiritual blessing. You say every supply. Do you really mean every though? Do you really mean every? See, I don't know what every means at your house. But at my house, every is the word um, you use when you can't think of an example offhand, but you really want to win the argument. So you say every. And so you hear things in my house like this. Every time we ask to have friends over, you say no. I'm like, every time? Like every? Every time I look in the fridge, there's never, ever any food. Every time. Just starving to death here. Or you hear something like this in our house. (laughs) Every time I get a new haircut or I buy a new pair of shoes, you never notice. My wife is like, every condo? (laughs) Every time? Are you sure? I don't know what every means in your world, but let me assure you of this. When Paul says every, he means every. For you scholars, 
The Greek word for every means every. He actually legitimately means it. It's almost as if Paul went to some poetry slam in the province of Ephesus and he threw down this massive, we are so blessed. And the church responds, how blessed are we? (laughs) Everly, every, like surpassingly. I don't know. I'm not a poet. I'm not sure why I'm here. Here's the point. If you believe in the person of Jesus Christ, you have been given every single conceivable spiritual supply that there is. God has given you every supply you could possibly need. He didn't forget any, as in all of them. If there is a spiritual supply, he's every ditch to you. If there's a supply to be had, a spiritual blessing to be had, Paul is saying, hey, you've been given that spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing in Christ. He means every. This supply is surpassing. Surpassing, by the way, is a word that you use when you can't get any more of something. Because even if you got more of it, it would be surpassed. And Paul is saying God could not possibly have topped off the spiritual blessings he's given his church any more than he already has. So can you imagine what it would be like if we actually believed that is true about us? Can you even imagine for a second what it might do to your disposition? What it might do to your decisions? What it might do to your direction? What it might do to your ultimate life destination? If we believed that is the truest truth about us. That is the realest reality about us. That is what God sees when he looks at you if you are indeed a follower of Jesus Christ. It's amazing how much I often live like my soul is on E. Like I'm barely making it, barely scraping by. It's amazing how often I feel more lonely than loved. I feel more broken than whole. I feel more empty than every, than full. And so it affects the way I live. I end up taking more than I give because I constantly feel like I need to be topped off. Think how differently I would live if I believed, no, every spiritual blessing. The supply is surpassing. I have everything. Let's talk a little bit more about that. There's, there's more. Um, another observation from this verse is that the supply is spiritual. Supply is spiritual. It's deep. Took it right out of the verse. Look again at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every, what's that word? Spiritual, man, that's so beautiful. Spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, there's a lot we could say about this, but here's really what we want to get a hold of today. Beyond this physical shell called my body that I live in, I am a spiritual being. I am literally a living soul. That is why when I die, this shell, this thing I live in, that I cart around, is going to be put in the ground, and it will do its decaying thing. But the realist me, the soul me, the spirit me, will live on. I am a spiritual being. That's why, by the way, you've probably noticed, no matter how much of a physical person or thing or place I get, 
I have, I enjoy, I never get to the place where I say, uncle, enough, I'm satisfied. I'm always running and reaching for a little bit more because it's never quite enough. You know why? Because I'm a spiritual being. Meaning no physical thing or person or place has the ability to satisfy the spiritual ache, the spiritual longing. And so Paul steps in in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 and he says, I know. What about if you had every spiritual supply for your soul? What if that was true about you? Turns out, it is according to verse number three. We've been blessed in the heavenly realms. We've been supplied surpassingly with every spiritual Blessing every food for the soul, soul food, if you will. Can you imagine what it would be like if we believed that that was true about us? Can you imagine if we looked at ourselves from God's vantage point and became convinced that that's what he sees when he looks at us. That that's what he says about us and about this surpassing supply that he's given us. Because what you believe to be true about you will affect The way you live. How would we live if we believed I have surpassing spiritual supply for my soul? God couldn't possibly have given me more. I wonder if I wouldn't call off the search that my soul has been on. Looking in every place, with every person, in every relationship, in every corner for something that might finally top my soul off. I wonder if I wouldn't call off the search. If I was truly convinced. And I wonder if people wouldn't just generally enjoy me more because wouldn't I maybe become a little less needy? I need stuff from you. Can you please uh, do something for this soul thing that I'm experiencing? And I become clingy. I become needy. I become codependent. I become the taker always in the relationship again. What if I become a little less enamored with the stuff of this world when I realize the stuff of this world would never satisfy the stuff of my soul? Do you think I might become a little less obsessed with the promotion, a little less obsessed with reaching and running, laboring for more and more? Turns out, he's blessed me with a supply that my soul needs. Paul says the supply we have is not only surpassing It's spiritual. And believing that to be true will change our world. It will change our obsessions. It will change the degree to which we hold tightly to things in this world. It will affect the way that we live. Paul says another thing about this supply And it's the idea that the supply, this surpassing supply, is settled. Oh man, that is so huge for my heart. It's a done deal. 
It's done. It's a wrap. It's settled. Uh, Look at it again. Um, Verse 3 of chapter 1. I trust by the end of this service we'll have this verse memorized. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, what's the next word? Has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Now listen, I don't want to get all tensed up over tenses, but this one really bears mentioning. It's not complicated. It's just key not to miss. You don't have to have a grammatical degree. You don't have to be a grammatical expert um, to be able to figure it out. That God, uh, our Father, has blessed us with every spiritual supply in Jesus Christ. What tense is that? A little more conviction. What tense is that? Past tense. Just brilliance oozing in this place. Yes. Past tense. And so what Paul is saying is, listen. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God has already surpassingly supplied Every spiritual food your soul could ever possibly crave. It's settled. It's done. Past tense. I, I, I need this. I don't know about you. It's a simple but yet incredibly significant truth. Everything. Think about this for a second. Everything your soul could ever Possibly need is already yours. Just wait till we start believing that. It will mess with our disposition. We'll be in Fort Wayne every day. Heading the right way. That is an astonishing reality. And can you even imagine if we truly believed that is true? That that's what God sees when he looks at you. It's like, okay, have we settled her supply? Yes, God settled. What about him? Yep, settled. What about, yep, she has it all. What, yep. All your children, Father, we've taken care of it. They have everything. It's already been done. All right. So their accounts, their accounts are fully credited with every spiritual supply they'll ever need. You're positive. That will mess with you a little bit if you truly dare to believe it. Do you know how much I often believe that if I work hard enough, to be good enough, then maybe God will give me just enough to get by. And so when I feel sadness still lingering, and when I feel loneliness, I just assume I obviously didn't cut it. I obviously didn't jump high enough. obviously didn't work hard enough. obviously didn't kick that habit enough. And so God is holding out. It is amazing how often I believe God and I have a bartering relationship. He's dangling joy and hope and peace in my future. If I would only jump through enough hoops and work hard enough and do all the right things and be a good boy, then maybe God would consider handing me a little bit of blessing. And Paul shows up and said, uh, sir, your situation spiritually is already settled. It is amazing how much in the church, if we're honest, we live for a future tense. In fact, the reality is many of us are waiting to die. That's a version of Christianity we've bought into. Life stinks. Just hold on till you die, baby. 
Then one day when we all get to heaven, like then it's going to be on. And Paul is saying, um, he's already supplied you with joy and hope and peace. It's yours. Quit postponing living. How about living a little now? Now, don't get me wrong. We'll never be able to fully experience everything that's ours. But guess what? When we get to heaven, we'll never be able to fully experience everything that's ours. That's why it's called eternity. We'll never catch up to it. But what Paul wants us to understand, it's it's already caught up to us in many ways. It is already ours. That is an astonishing truth that you already have every supply for your soul. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to start to look at what are some of those supplies. And here's the question. How come I'm not enjoying them? I want some. How do I access it? And Paul is so gracious that he's going to tell us some of that. The supply is settled. One more um, observation from this verse about this supply. Apparently, the supply is secure. Supply is secure. Look again at verse 3. Um, <clears throat> now get ready. This is, this is going to stretch us a little bit. We're going to have to say two words together out loud here. Okay? Just hold on to something or someone. It's about to get real. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the... What are the next two words? That's so legit. With every... Spiritual blessing in Christ. Oh, man. I was doing little jigs in my heart, just looking over those two words. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. What Paul is saying is, hey, listen, this soul supply that you already have, is stored in a highly secure, heavenly location. Ooh, that's a good place to keep stuff. If I have some supply that I consider immensely valuable, and people in this culture will often do this, if if there's a very valuable supply, we'll often keep it in a safe in our home. But if this thing is like beyond safe, valuable... Then we might pay a little bit of money, put it in a safety deposit box, in a vault, in a bank. Now, I don't mean to uh, make you paranoid or mess with you this close to lunch, but uh, did you know that about 4,000 banks in this country were successfully robbed last year? Um, Just thought I'd throw that out there. Now, I'm not saying anything about banks. Here's the point. If I put something... In a safety deposit box or in a vault somewhere, it heightens the security of that supply. But it cannot guarantee the security of that valuable thing. Paul says, ooh, 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 I know. What if your supply was stored in a safety deposit box, in the vault, in the bank of heaven. How about then? Which is precisely Paul's point. What God has surpassingly supplied for us is kept surpassingly secure in the heavenly Realms. That is so awesome. That's what Paul wants us to know. Your soul supply is guaranteed. Heaven, the codes cannot be cracked, cannot be broken into, which means if your supply is stored in heaven, 
It can never be stolen. It can never be touched. It can never be tweaked. It can never be tampered with. Listen to me. If God says something is true about you, guess where that truth is stored? Yes, in the vault in heaven, meaning nobody can ever touch it or tamper it or tweak it or take it. Come on, Brad Pitt. Come on, George Clooney. Come on, Ocean's crew. Let's see if you can heist that situation. Come on, Ed Norton. Come on, Marky Mark. Can you Italian job your way into the vault of heaven? And I'm telling you right now that if somebody can figure out a way to get to the heavenly vault and hold Jesus at gunpoint and take my stuff, I'm switching to their team. But that's Paul's whole point. If it's true about you, if it's been supplied to you, it's stored for you in a highly secure location. It can never be touched, can never be taken. It is secure. I I love that point. When you believe that, everything your soul needs is yours and is securely stored for you in heaven, it will change the way you live. I'm telling you, you are going to find the church is going to start walking around, just just MC Hammer, you can't touching, all kinds of stuff. Some of you are too young, just, just YouTube that. I do, I just wonder if we're going to start walking around a little bit differently. You know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, I'm looking at my past. I'm like, how are you going to front like you have the ability to tweak or turn or take away my forgiveness? You can't touch that. My forgiveness is securely kept in heaven. I'll start looking at my failure as a parent and I'm like, yeah, I messed up. But that mess up has no ability to break into the vault and change what God says is true about me because of my relationship to Jesus Christ. You're going to start looking at your ex-boyfriend. I cannot believe you fronted like you had any ability to determine or define or undermine my value. My masterpieceness is stored in a secure vault. No dude can take or tamper with that. And you know, by the way, who the primary criminal burglars often are? Us. We are. I'm the one who's constantly saying, oh man. I just, I messed up again. And I feel like my bad behavior broke into the vault and stole God's view of me. Surely he can't still say this is true about me. Because see, I'm a master thief. And I held Jesus at gunpoint. And I undid his work on the cross. And I changed his opinion of me. And guess what? What I believe to be most true about me will affect my disposition. And so oftentimes, based on what I did, I walk around like this. Broke into my own bank again. Took the stuff Jesus says is true about me. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. The truest truths about you, the realest realities about you, the things that God has supplied, every supply for your soul is securely stored out of the reach of your own messes. Can't touch this. Get over yourself a little bit. You're not that skillful. Securely. Stored and kept in heaven. Whatever God says about you can never be tweaked by something someone here says about you. Never change the way you carry what people say about you. What people think about you. All of a sudden it's like, yeah, there's a real reality in a securer place than your fleeting opinions about me. I'm going to go ahead and believe that to be true and watch my disposition walk around with some serious spiritual swag. It will change the way you live.
if you dare to believe it. Here's what Paul is attempting to communicate. Such a powerful truth. When it's all said and done, Paul is saying, hey, listen. Church, if you believe in Jesus Christ, God calls you spoiled. God calls you spoiled. You have more than every single thing your soul will ever be able to spend or enjoy. You are totally overindulged. You have more than you ever be able to use. What do you call a person like that? You are spoiled in the most beautiful way imaginable. The only question is, will you believe it and begin to live the way kids would live if they knew they had everything and more than everything their souls could possibly need? Uh, my son went to some kind of a um, car show last weekend, which was great, except uh, the experience managed to inspire him to believe that our life as a family was sorely incomplete without a $495,000 Lamborghini. And so he came to me and said, Dad, um, can we buy a Lamborghini? I'm like, not today, son. I'm tired. Um, (laughs) it's honestly been so fascinating to try and convince my son that we cannot afford a $495,000 Lambo. It's like, well, okay, but what if it's yellow? Same answer, son. Uh, During the course of this conversation, my kid got me going um, by asking me if I thought that Bill Gates could afford a Lamborghini. And so I laughed and I said, son, yeah, Bill Gates could afford plenty of Lamborghinis. And then he just ripped my heart out, said, um, dad, do you know how I can get a hold of Bill Gates so I can ask him if he could buy me a Lamborghini? Cause he would clearly be a better dad than you. I mean, so we're having this just, just crazy, um, conversation. My son and I. I told him, hey, when you're old enough to have a Twitter account, you can tweet at Bill Gates and see uh, what happens from there. But speaking of Bill Gates, if you know me, you know my crazy fascination with this guy and his crazy, insanely ridiculous wealth. It's nuts. It's too much. Um, so he's worth $53 billion, with a B, dollars. That's a, a lot of money. Uh, the guy makes um, $1.5 million an hour, which means the time I've been standing up here, he could have bought two Lamborghinis, $495,000 apiece. Ridiculous. If Bill Gates were a country, by the way, he would be the 37th wealthiest nation on the face of the planet. He would be wealthier than 159 countries, including the country of my origin, which is a painful, painful thought. His house is just ridiculously absurd. I mean, and by absurd, I mean uh, absurd. He lives in a 66,000 square foot mansion that's built, by the way, into a hill to conserve energy. I'm like, oh, good job. Good job. (laughs) Um, His house is estimated at $123 million, which by the way means Bill Gates pays a million dollars in property taxes a year. Thankfully, he makes more than that an hour. So I think it's fine. Don't feel bad for him, Argentina. But um, uh, this home apparently was built by about 300 workers out of about half a million um, board feet of lumber. In other words, enough wood to go to South Bend um, and come back. That's, that's a lot. Uh, he has a library with two, apparently, two um, secret passageways. One of them leads to a secret bar. And in his library, he has a, <clears throat> a manuscript of Leonardo da Vinci that he apparently paid $30 million to get a hold of. He has garage space for 23 cars. He has a 10-car garage that's built in this cave under the ground with a steel Batman-like contraption. It's pretty outrageous. Um, When he built the house, he fell in love with a maple tree that was there before he got there. 
And uh, he didn't want to destroy it, and so he built around it. Uh, He loves this tree. It's electronically monitored 24 hours a day, which means if it even seems remotely parched, it gets just the right amount of moisture sprayed on it to keep this tree happy. That's just fantastic (laughs) stuff. Um, When you get to his house, you get this little pin, and this pin is programmed with all of your preferences, which means as you move from room to room, the room adjusts. The artwork changes, the TV shows change, the music changes to suit your preferences, and the music will follow you to the bottom of a 60-foot-long pool. It's crazy! Who lives like that? But he does. This is Bill Gates' home. It's fascinating. But one of the most fascinating things I read is that there was a guy who was like, I want to visit this place. I want to take a little tour of Bill Gates' home. And he did for the price of $35,000 thousand dollars just to go to this house and visit it for a little while just to play real life mtv cribs and go there and live vicariously and gawk at all the stuff bill gates had and then he got kicked out and the guy had to leave i'll tell you what i think is awesome that isaiah chapter 40 describes god as the author, the creator of everything that is. Which means, the way it describes him is beautiful. It means that, hey, God, our father, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, apparently he made all the wood that Bill Gates used to build his house by simply speaking the words. He's bad news like that. It says that he holds every body of water, not just tiny Lake Washington on which Bill Gates' home sits, but every body of water on the face of the planet in the small part of his hand. It says he measures the span of the galaxy with, with the width of his hand. It says he measures the mountains in baskets. So bad is our God. And as I read that, it just begs the question, hey, I wonder what his house must look like. Because I'm so impressed with this little earthling residence. What does a house look like of the God who forget a sound system? The whole universe. It says all creation is a sound system declaring the glory of God wherever you go. What must his home look like? In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, what Paul is telling us is, hey, here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God not only takes you for a tour of his home, free of charge, by the way, no cost to you. He shows off everything that he owns and everything that's up in there. And then when it's done, he looks at you and says, hey, guess what? It's all yours. Did you know that? You are so spoiled. Look again, one last time in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in, say it, in Christ. That's a phrase Paul uses over 200 times in his writing. And you know what it means, if nothing else? It means that if we're in Christ, one of the truths about us is that we are co-heirs with Jesus. You know what that means? It means if it belongs to Jesus, guess what? (laughs) It belongs to you. You are such a spoiled brother in Christ, in case you didn't know. The only question is, do you live like that is true? Do you live like that is what God says about you? My kids have this notorious habit of walking around the house and asking their mother the most absurd questions constantly. Mom, have you seen my shoes? I need them. And my wife will say, "Um, have you checked your room where your shoes stay? Oh. And then they'll go to their room, and lo and behold, there are the shoes. Mom, do you know if we have any milk? Have you checked the fridge? Oh. (laughs) And lo and behold, there is milk in the fridge. Mom, do you know when dad's next meeting is? Uh, have you asked him? He's standing right next to you. Oh, 
dad. It's so ridiculous. And yet it reminds me of the way the church often lives. Oh, I'm looking for some love because I desperately need some. Have you checked the the storehouse? Because you already have it. I mean, you'll never be able to figure out how wide and how deep is the love Christ has for you, but you already have it. Oh, I'm so desperately looking for acceptance. Well, have you checked the vault? Have you checked the supply room? Because if you're in Jesus Christ, you already have it. The only question is, do you enjoy it? Do you believe it? Is it affecting your disposition? Is it affecting your decisions? Is it affecting your direction? Is it affecting, in so many ways, your destination? For so many of us, we don't yet live like we're spoiled because we don't yet believe that in Christ we have everything. So listen, why don't we stand together and I'll say a a word of prayer. But before that, I just want you to, to just consider mouthing the words, I'm blessed. On the count of three, give it a shot. This is not to be loud. I know some of you are introverts. But say it. You might believe it later, but let's at least say that. I'm blessed. One, two, three. I'm blessed. And Lord, I pray that somehow, why don't we stand together, that somehow we would believe that is what you say about us, and that's what's truest about us, that you have surpassingly supplied everything our souls will ever need. It's ours because of our connection to Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, in the next number of weeks, we pray you teach us what it looks like to enjoy those realities. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.